One of the ways we're at, we have seen, thanks Joe, our church grow uh, is through babies. So that's actually my new church growth strategy. When, uh, whenever I meet with like all the church planners, they're like, so how are you guys gonna grow? Uh, marital intimacy, it's working and we're growing. So one of the things I like though about uh, uh, you know, seeing babies come in, I, I, like, I like hearing about people's names and have what they choose to name their baby. What's really interesting though, is how, and this is new for me, how long it takes for some people to name their baby. Okay, so if this is you, I'm gonna offend you. So you get ready, um, where like sometimes it takes weeks to get a name. And I'm like thinking in my head, you had nine months to like think of the name. But I, there's usually good reasons like that. I wanna see the baby's face, or you kind of have that like, this wasn't their name. Um, I actually Googled, like, how, what's the longest person who you know, was nameless? The internet got mad at me, so I don't know what it, I, I got no name. Um, but uh, you actually have six weeks, I looked it up, you actually have six weeks legally to name your baby. So interesting fact, that's why you came here. Uh, we are opening our passage to another baby naming moment in the Bible, one that's very significant. Uh, and so that's where we're gonna begin our time in verse 56. Here's the context, I'll give it to you. In the first opening uh, verses of Luke, an angel comes to Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, while he's serving in the temple, shows up in like glory. And, and he basically says, God hears your prayer, Zechariah. You've been pleading and praying with your wife, Elizabeth, uh, and you've been longing for a child and in your old age, he's heard you and you're going to be blessed with a baby, but it's not just gonna be any baby. This is going to be the one that, this is gonna be the prophet that the Old Testament said, uh, alluded to that would prepare the way for the Messiah. He's gonna be so significant in preparing people's hearts for needing their savior. And you're gonna give him, this is what the angel says, you're to give him the name John, which means God is merciful. And um, I love the, I love Zechariah in the sense that he just doesn't believe it. Like it's so crazy to him that in his old age that they could have a baby. He's like, I just don't believe it. And uh, he, he's like, while an angel is standing there, he doubts. Okay, so if you have like doubt issues, that's a big one. Like, and I, the angel's response, I love this. He, this is what the angel says in verse 19. He says, I'm Gabriel. Like he just says his name. He's, he's shocked. I, 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 he even says this, I'm like, I stand in the presence of God. He's like, I'm sure I'm right, okay? Uh, you don't have a cousin who does this kind of thing. Like this is, let me tell you, and, and, and what I love about this is the angel just kind of shuts his mouth. He's like, you're not gonna be able to speak. The angel must have had this communion with, with God and God in great love disciplines, Zechariah shuts his mouth. He can't talk uh, to show him faith, to, to help him form faith in a way that taught him to trust. And so we're gonna pick it up here in, in this whole context. So we'll look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son and her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy. That word means compassion to her and they rejoiced with her. So the whole village, you gotta imagine a uh, first century village 
which you probably can't, but try. Um, They were all there. They're excited for her. Relatives are there. Uh, They couldn't believe she's giving birth in in her old age. And verse 59, in the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child. So let me stop there because this is where the naming comes in. Uh, In, in, you know, uh, since all the way from Abraham, for God's people, Israel, the Jewish nation, circumcision was a, a sacrament that that meant you were entering into the covenant community of God. And so it was an outward symbol that you were cut apart, set apart for God. You were part of his people and you're gonna live for him and obey him and love him and serve him. And, but it was just this outward sacrament that they had that you're now part of God's family. And it was also during that ceremony that they would name the child. So this is where we get to where we are. Verse 59, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, good mom here, no. No, she, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by that name, okay? How many of you, have? if you have kids, you've had that awkward moment where like you named the baby and you were so excited and you bring it to your relatives. You're like, this is his name. And they're like, oh, are you sure? You're like, what? Yes. The worst is if it's a close friend, they're like, oh, that's a unique name. You're like, hey, where's my phone? Honey, what's our Instagram password? Unfriend, unfriend, unfriend. You just gotta get them out of here. Um, that's what happens. So uh, verse 62, and they made signs. This is, this is also funny to picture. They made signs to his father. What do you want to name him? Um, it, what do you want to be called? And he asked for a writing tablet, like a really old I, iPad. And he wrote his name is John. And they were like, oh my goodness, this is, you know, we thought she was just having a hard labor and hormones, but this is real. Um, and they all wondered in verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, worshiping, blessing God. He sings, he praises and fear and awe. This is an emotional reverence came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the country of Judea and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then shall this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So God speaks. Now, before we get to the song of prophecy, I want us to marvel at at this moment of living faith in God. I wanna talk to you first about faith in God and faith and the the nature of faith and, and Christmas and faith. And so the angel says like, you won't be able to speak until he's born. And, and eight, he's eight, he's born. And then eight days later, he's still not speaking. But when it comes time to name him, which is what the angel said, this is what you'll name him. Zechariah steps out, he moves toward belief by doing, by obeying, by living out what God's word said he would, it would be, by worshiping, by naming him according to what was said. Now, I want you to think about this, for nine months, he had so much time to ponder be alone with his thoughts, think about the angel's message, probably go back into his Old Testament and go, there's no way, like there's no way. 
could this be real? Could this be now? And just one, like in, in this wonderful discipline of God, he's growing faith. He doesn't know how it's all going to be, but he trusts God. He trusts him. He doesn't know how it's going to work out, but he goes, I'm going to trust. I'm going to choose to trust him. His name is John because the angel said it would be. And I, I want us to sit here and think about for, for a little bit together is faith in God's word is, is bursting all over these Christmas passages. Like they're just all over. Um. I believe we're called to glean here because I know this, that there's faith needed. Like I know some of you right now, there's faith needed for what God is doing in your life right now. For what God's gonna do in the promises of salvation in your life. And we don't like to talk about faith. It's a touchy subject. But short church faith, I believe is needed for what I what I since God's calling us into in 2019, I think we're gonna need some more faith. Um, so let me point out, action is the great truth teller and barometer of your faith. Like, how do you know your faith, how do you know how your faith is doing? You'll see it, it's explained in your action. Actions explain faith. It's your living out, it's your stepping out, it's your you know, repenting, it's reaching out, it's, it's giving, it's a do thing. And I point this out because sometimes I think uh, as Christians, we feel like we feel okay if our faith is just in this kind of cerebral, like, yes, I believe, and, and we don't do anything. We, like, we actually don't do anything about it. And, and I, I think it's, it's common in the church where like you'll have, for example, like after a sermon, you, you'll maybe talk to your spouse on the way back or like you'll, whether it's Josh or myself, be like, that was oof, good one. That was a good one, pastor. Oh, good. Like we don't know how to respond. Good, thank you, Lord. Um, that was very convicting. And then nothing happens. But here's the problem. We feel good about our faith because we were convicted. Who cares? if it didn't create or you did anything about what God convicted you in. And I, but I think we just, we feel okay all the time. And I'm just saying we need faith. Good intentions is not real faith. Um, Nikki and I, we've been married 12 years coming up in January. She's sick today. So she doesn't even know I'm talking about her. Um, but we, we, man, we met in high school. Uh, lived in Ontario to Indiana to uh, Abbotsford to Vancouver to North Vancouver in in enough uh, yeah in those twelve years have had four kids um, almost every year uh, and in in ministries and in housing and health we have been in crazy need and in continuous pressure but uh, but here's what we began to love. The theme of our lives has always been as if God is saying this, I'm gonna show you enough for you to know that I'm leading you, but I'm not gonna give you what you need before you obey me. Like I'm gonna show you enough for you to know that I'm leading you, but I'm not gonna give you what you need before you obey me. It's just been the theme of our life. And if that's where you're at, that's okay. And how many of you, you, you would go, yeah, I think I'm a little like Zachariah this morning. Like you're sitting here, you're listening and you know God is in control. You know, he's fully sufficient for the things 
that he's calling you to do or he's put on your heart, but you haven't pursued it or stepped out that door or whatever comes to mind. When I say the word faith, you haven't acted or maybe you're here when it comes to Jesus, you have lots of doubts. Maybe they're personal doubts, something hasn't turned out well in your life or they're like intellectual doubts. Like, you know, you're, you're either coming from a, a different set of beliefs that says there is no God and matter is all there is or, or whether you believe like all religions have equal value and you have different set of beliefs, but you have these doubts yet you know he's been real to you. Like Jesus has really shown himself to you and you've, you're kind of rejecting him instead of moving towards belief. Let me say it this way, first you act, then you'll receive. Zechariah acts and then the Holy Spirit fills him. And this is so important, okay? Turn to the, turn to the person next to say, this, this is important, okay? Some of you did it so fast. You're like, he's really proud of you. Okay, so this is really important. L- listen, if you receive before you act, you will trust the resource and not the, not the source. Like if you receive before you act, you will trust the resource and not the source. And there's been times, many times where, where like Zechariah, we don't trust right away. And God is wonderful. He will discipline us for our good. And like, I, I feel like I'm in a season of that right now. But if God's been telling you to believe in him and you haven't stepped out, what I want you to hear is you need to do it. You need to do it. And if you're a leader in ministry or you have anything that you're already doing as a disciple of Jesus that, that you know is bigger than you, which should be all of us, um, hear and receive this this morning. So here's a quote. Here's what Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, tells his preachers, okay? So here it is. I got kicked a few times in this quote, so will you. But the key is when you get kicked, you're like, what's he talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Um, If you get convicted, you go, okay, God, show me what you want me to do about it. Cool, we're cool. Ready for the quote? Above all, our work requires faith. If we fail in faith, we would be better off not have entered the ministry. And unless we obtain faith commensurate with our calling, we will soon grow weary of it. It is a proven fact that success in the Lord's service is very much in proportion to faith. It certainly is not in proportion proportion to ability, nor does it always run parallel with a display of zeal but it always according to the measure of faith for this is the law of the kingdom without exception. According to your faith, will it be done to you? It is essential then that we must have faith if we're to be useful and that we must have great faith if we're to be greatly useful for many other reasons besides usefulness, namely even of our being able to hold our own against the enemies of the truth and for ability to stand against the temptations which surround our office. It is imperative that we must have abundant confidence in the living God. We above all need the mountain moving faith by which in the early days of Christianity, saints conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised to shut the mouths of lions, quench the fury of the flames and escape the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. 
So where's the Holy Spirit speaking right now? Let me point out again and pull this even farther that when Zechariah breaks his silence and, and names him John, believing God for all that he's going to do through this boy. Follow me here. It's not about the boy anymore. Like it's about God. His focus in that time of silence became God. Like over time in his heart, God became bigger and the purposes of God were greater than the answer itself. Like it was greater than just being able to be a dad. See, faith focuses on God and not on that for which we're trusting him for. That's what faith will in its end go to. This will be on the screen. God gives us desires and promises not so that we grow attached to the fulfillment and realization, but so that our hearts are more fully and completely devoted to the God of the promise. Which is what like just flows out of Zachariah's mouth. He's full of the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. Okay, well, I'm really excited. We're gonna be talking about the spiritual gifts in January. And uh, this is a spiritual gift. He's full of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gift of prophecy. Here's a short preview. I'll give you a preview. Um, so you can kind of sense of what's happening here. Uh, by the way, the spiritual gift just means grace, the spiritual grace. When the Holy Spirit comes and fills someone, there's, they're filled with the grace, the spiritual gift of it. So he, he prophesies. He, he, here, he's, he is... Um, when you have the spiritual gift of prophecy, you're filled with the spirit to deliver truth of a predictive nature or a situational word from God. And so it's not like the spiritual gift of teaching where you're unpacking and you're concentrating in a text and you're bringing that out uh, and you're, you're proclaiming it where there's interpretation, there's application, and the spirit uses that to teach, build us up. The gift of prophecy, unlike teaching, um, is the report of something God suddenly brings to mind and it's for that time and purpose. In this moment, it's a response to who will the child be? And so he, he prophesies here. So re prophesies, reporting something God suddenly brings to mind. And, and like he wasn't meditating on this. This was a spiritual moment where Luke records, okay? It's gonna be good. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and the hand of all who hate us to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now just stop there. As we step into the shoes of the Israelites, which, is, which I really appreciated what we're doing with Advent and just reading of those Psalms, we need to remember that for centuries, the Jewish people, and you can see this in their uh, intertest, intertestimony, what's the word I'm looking for? 
the writings in between the Old Testament and New Testament, these Jewish writings that weren't inspired, where, where you kind of get this sense that they had given up on God's promises. There's a few of them who they just believe God has waned from speaking. There's no prophecies. Uh, by the way, it's really interesting from Genesis to Exodus, there's a 400 year gap before God raises up Moses and brings his people out of slavery from their enemies and frees them, redeems them. We have a 400 year gap from Malachi's last manuscript that we have record of and in the gospel of Matthew, where God shows up on the scene. And so there's this like, he, we haven't seen God moving for a long time, but now in this prophecy, in this moment, Zechariah's like, God has visited. He's like, no, no, like it's here now. Like, like no more oppression because God has come again and he's now coming and John's gonna be a part of this. So whether it was Egypt or Babylon or now the Romans, God's gonna visit and redeem his people. That's why you have language about being away from his enemies. So he continues here um, in verse 69, and has raised up a horn of salvation. So this is Old Testament language. Now, if you, if you grew up reading the old Bible, many of us haven't or didn't have that opportunity. Uh, that's okay. A horn was often used in places like Malachi and uh, the Psalms, Isaiah, to describe a sign of victory. So it wasn't like the horn, it was like the horn of an ox where you would win battles. And so um, it, it was always a sign that God was doing this victory. So I'm gonna give you, we'll skip a few verses here, but Psalm 18 too says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. Malachi says, uh, rise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make you a horn iron and your hoofs bronze, you shall win. You shall beat in pieces many peoples. So here, focus, Jesus is the horn of our salvation. He is now God's victory by which we are gonna get freed from our enemies. This is happening. It's exciting. He's prophesying. Zechariah is saying, God is going to raise up this now horn. He's already here which is exciting because he was, he was in the belly of Mary. If you were here last week, Aaron Boswell walked us through that whole amazing Christmas scene. But notice what Zechariah says, verse 76, go before the Lord to prepare his way, speaking of John, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. And so here you have in this prophecy, this is gonna be how he's gonna defeat our enemies. And what's the enemy? Forgiveness of our sins. Let me say it just as clear as I can. Jesus is the only way. Like the only horn, the only way out of guilt. There are so many, even those who say lightly, yeah, I'm with Jesus, who will say Jesus is not the only way to God. They'll say there are many ways to God, like, you know, James, and I love these people. So we, we it always feels when you share these kinds of things, it's like us versus them. It's never, God's come to rescue and call all people. He loves all nations. You should, the book of Revelation is one of the most exciting books where every, every background, every nation is there, every culture. But people say, well, what about the good Buddhists? Or what about like the good Muslim or like even, you know, 
my good neighbor, I believe they're gonna come to God too, just in their way. And if you believe that, which is a whole different set of beliefs of the nature of salvation, it means you don't have grace alone. It means you don't need a victory. You believe then that it's possible to get to heaven through good works. And if you say Jesus is not the only way to God, what you're actually saying is it's possible to be good enough and you don't necessarily take grace, you don't need forgiveness or a horn of victory for you. But if you believe like Zechariah and you know Jesus is the horn of God's salvation, that I need a victory for me. And then when Jesus hung on the cross, it was a sin enemy, sin forgiving, sin paying debt that I need by grace. Only when you have him will you be saved by grace alone. See, if you believe it's, it's in him, you're no longer gonna trust in you. And that's the greatest freedom and peace God has come to give us. We can't save ourselves. And you'll always look down at yourself. And I want you to see, look, look at the goal, the aim of God's glorious salvation in Jesus. He says this, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him. See, I, like Jesus isn't just help us with the things of, of our guilt, pain, sin, things done against us, but he frees us up to no longer serve our reputation, no longer serve sex, no longer serve and be enslaved to success, no longer serve ourselves. Like he has come to set us free from those things that we're serving that are not going to fulfill and give us only what God can to free us, to bring us to God. Because this whole prophecy is that you'll be delivered so that you can serve God without any fear, but in this holiness and in, in this righteousness, because it's not gonna be your righteousness, it's gonna be his righteousness. The essence of salvation is God lives a perfect life, dies in our place, rises again, gives us a righteousness so that we can know him and love him. And I, I fight with this one. I plead with God for this. Short church, what sucks your life into a spiral of decay is when you lose your fear and worship of God by failing to take him seriously. Like I'm really speaking to the Christian in the room right now. Like I know God is a spirit, but like seriously, like right now he's in this room. Like you should be fearing him right now. Like you, while I'm preaching, you should be communing with, fearing, like he is in this room as much as you are in this room. Like before I come up here, I go like, hey God, I will talk to you about this, not any of them. Like he's here. He's, this is a good fight of faith, Paul calls us to run this race. And I, I love what Zachariah says in this, blessing his son, let me read it again. And you, child, John, will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. 
Like God was so real in that moment and it was happening. It was all coming true. Like he was just like, oh man. Because here's the thing, Malachi 3.1 says this, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. That was 400 years ago. And this prophecy is like, hey, he, this, it's happening. 700 years before that, Isaiah says, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Like it was all coming true. This is your story. Like this really happened in human history. Like this is your story. Like Christianity is very different than Buddhism. Buddhism, if you found out that what Buddha did wasn't really accurate or true fully, it wouldn't matter in Buddhism because Buddhism is a way of philosophy and thinking. Paul says, if Jesus didn't come out of the grave, your faith is dead. It doesn't matter. It's not even real. Like if these events didn't happen, then we shouldn't be in this room. Like this, 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 this you just, I just want you to feel like, like he is here. Like just so you know, when I'm fighting sexual temptation in the middle of the night, one of the ways I fight is I go, man, there is greater power in this room right now in Jesus' name. Like he's here, he's watching you. Like I'll say that, like he's watching you and he's with you. Oh, maybe we've lost some of that. You know, I study these passages every Christmas because we teach them and we should as a church. And the one thing that really hit me as I was studying uh, was the attribute of God's mercy. How are we doing for time? Oh, we're okay. Um, I have a timer. If you're ever curious, you should look back at that screen. You can see that it's a countdown. Um, but now you guys know I'll be like listening to the sermon like this. You just seeing this? <laughs> um, is God's mercy. Like, like, I think, like, it would really hit me, like, this is the attribute of Christmas. Like, five times in Luke's, Luke's chapter, in chapter one, mercy's mentioned. You've already heard it a lot. But let me, let me ask you this. Let's, so we're going to gaze here, and then we'll close. What is mercy? Super important. Okay, so right now, you, you're communing with God. Go, God, help me to believe in this mercy right now, whatever he's going to say. So you tell him that. Um, mercy is an attribute of God let me put it this way, is an attribute of an infinite and inexhaustible energy within the divine nature, which disposes God to be, here it is, actively compassionate. It's not, and some of you need to hear this, it is not temporary. It's not a temporary mood. God's never in a merciful mood and then not in another moment. It's an attitude attribute of God's eternal being. You never need to fear that it will dissipate. You never need to fear that it'll run out or that it'll dry up. Nothing has occurred in your life or will occur in this life or in heaven on earth or in hell that can change the tender mercies of God. Mercy is not simply God seeking to give relief to those who do not deserve it. Mercy is undeserved compassion. Mercy is not simply God seeking to give relief to those who do not deserve it. It's more. Mercy is God taking our miseries into his heart. 
and he feels them there. And if, if you're exploring Christianity, one of the most beautiful, and Christianity is beautiful when you can weed through some of the tensions that we feel as well, is, is the incarnation was the fact that God came to experience what we experience. Like he took on flesh and Hebrew says he, he can actually like um, feel what we feel because he was fully human and fully God. He can sympathize is the word with our weaknesses. I, I thank the Lord for that all the time because I'm like, you know, you can, you know how I feel right now. But it, it's mercy is God first taking our misery to heart and then giving relief to the miserable. Zechariah says it was in his tender mercy. Earlier we, we read, it's to show the mercy promised to our fathers. So if you're like, well, what's God like? Christmas tells you the impulse of God is tender mercy. By the way, you're not saved. If you're a Christian in here or God's going to gift you the faith to trust Christ in here, as you believe and act out in faith, that's all mercy. Let me read you what Jesus' closest disciple, Peter and John, he, what he writes in his letter to the church. First Peter 1 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great, what's our word? Mercy. Like according to, so like it wasn't according to, to you know, Jerry's good works. It wasn't according to the, the proportion. I'm gonna look down the, the barrels of time and see if you had enough faith to trust Christ. Like he's not according to that. According to his great mercies caused us to be born again. That's a new life, okay? A Christian is not just new behavior. You actually get new creation. You actually start loving God. You want God. You're like, I want to read his Bible. Wow, this is very different than when I read it before. I love you. That's, that's being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So we just sang about that. Like, take me home, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in a last time. So follow me here. God gives us hope, grants us an inheritance, guards us by his power, none of by which we deserve. Why? Because of his great tender mercy. Like, praise God. Like, we just go, oh, like I have nothing of my own to bring. Uh, Thomas Brooks, he's a Puritan in the 16th century, enjoyed and worshiped God's mercy in this way. Here's a picture of him, by the way. I never show you, I quote dead guys all the time, um, but I never show you. He kind of looks like me, like, like Malibu. Do you still have that hat you always wear? Where are you? Do you have it? Can, you, can I wear it quick? Oh, you don't have it with you. I think I could show you that looks like me. Here's what he says. It is, here, shh, it is, listen, it is free mercy that every day keeps hell and my soul asunder. It is mercy that daily pardons my sins. It is mercy that supplies all my inward and outward wants. 
It is mercy that preserves and feeds and clothes my outward man. It is mercy that renews, strengthens, and prospers my inward man. It is mercy that has kept me many times from committing such and such sins. It is mercy that has kept me many times from falling before such and such temptations. It is mercy that has many a time preserved me from being swallowed up by such and such inward and outward afflictions. Charles Wesley, here's a picture of him. Um, kind of looks like Josh Duell. Yeah, just in the nose. <laughs> All right, don't laugh. Um, here's what he writes. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. My God is reconciled, his pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child, I can no longer fear. That was Zechariah's prophecy, that we would serve him without fear. With confidence I now draw nigh, and Father Abba, Father cry. to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So let's worship God. He's here for his mercy. So will you stand with me as we respond? Um, there are days when I see the only grounds I have have always been mercy. And we're gonna sing a song about his mercy. And I want you to tell your soul, soul, you enjoy God right now. Like you worship God. And sing these lyrics and I know some of you are here and you're just, you're so desperate for God to move or at least show you what the next step is. You want faith in a situation, circumstance, some prayer, some longing, some compassion. Like maybe you feel like I do, just kind of like spiritually bruised, broken down. You actually need to hear this. God will not outsource that. He's not gonna delegate you to someone else. Like he's not gonna outsource your restoration. God will strengthen you with mercy. God has promised himself to you in Christ and he will secure you to himself. You are hidden in the mercy of God. To be hidden in the mercy of God is to be as secure as Jesus is. So when you come and take communion and you celebrate the death of Christ and his resurrection for you, you are as secure in the Father's life heart as Jesus is. And it's all mercy. You don't take any of this by your own efforts. And you need his mercy. And so tell him where you need his mercy. Tell him, tell him that. If you have a place where you need to act in faith, tell him that, talk to him. 
And you'd be like, I've already talked to him. Talk to him again. Just keep talking to him. And we'll pray for you. Dale and I would love to pray for healing in the back here. There's a, be a prayer couple that will just want to pray for your mercies. And we just, we come on the power and the greatness of God. So, so some of you are still not going to pray. And, and you're afraid to trust God with something. And this is your verse that you're going to memorize this week. Hebrews 4, 16 says this. Because here's what you know. You know he's in control and you know he's sufficient. But you don't believe he's compassionate. Hebrews 4, 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. Christmas tells us that his mercy was active. So let me pray. Father, I just pray that as we respond now, that we would worship you, like we would go, God has spoken to me, and we would be in awe of that. And I pray we would draw confident, Lee, to your throne of grace. And we need mercy, like we need mercy. And I, I just also pray that we would not lose our urgency for the reality that everyone is gonna spend eternity somewhere. And, and there are people that, that are poor and downcast and in poverty. And I just wanna ask that Jesus, you would show us who they are this week and you would compel us to actually take the reality of Christmas out. Help us, Father. We love you. It's all for your grace, all for your mercy. It's all for your glory. I just pray to help us now in Jesus' name, amen.